Hey everyone, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. So recently I got an email from someone asking um, about my opinions on something and comparing them to an opinion I might have had, say, 10 years ago early on in the podcast. And uh, this particular email was about amp emulations. Now, uh, I've thought about doing some different little short shows talking about like updates or things like that to maybe episodes that I had done early on in this in the history of Recording Lounge. You know, maybe my opinions have changed on certain things. Um, I'm thinking about doing a revamp of the Starting a Project Studio, which is like our first couple of episodes. I mean, a lot has changed since back then, so I really think that would be a cool thing to do. But this particular email that I got was about amp emulations, and a podcast listener says, I just started listening to the podcast a month or so ago. He's been enjoying it. Started chronologically and uh, heard you mention in an early episode that amp modelers are basically trash and to stay away. (laughs) Well, it's 11 years later, and I'm curious to hear your opinion at this stage in the game. Uh, So basically, he was saying that he had purchased some modelers, and he just wasn't quite happy with it, and he was wondering if my opinions on amp modelers have changed, and if so, or how they have changed or stayed the same, What are my opinions on amp modelers? What are my thoughts? Why is it that way? What are the problems? What could be better? So I thought, uh, I I did respond to his email, but after doing so, I thought, you know, I'll just make a podcast episode about this, basically with my answer. So first of all, I do think amp modelers have come an incredibly long way in the past 11 years. Uh, I think you'd be a fool to deny that. I mean, they really have come a long way. Back then, it was pretty pathetic how bad they were. I mean, really, they were bad. Um, The the pod, the Line 6 pod, was about as good as it got. Uh, Maybe the 11 rack. I don't even know if that had come out yet. And it was still pretty mediocre. I mean, no one was really fooling themselves, thinking, like, this sounds just like the real thing. Now, today, we have Kemper's. We have plugins, we have, you know, Axe Effects, we have Line 6. I mean, Line 6 has really uh, stepped up their game in the last five or ten years. All kinds of stuff. And they've all improved. I'll admit, they've all improved. Now, I still personally prefer real amps 95% of the time because of three primary reasons. First of all, I don't think the sound quality is quite there yet. I think it's getting closer, but I think that they they still seem to lack a 3D quality to me where they jump out of the speakers and feel forward and present and punchy. They seem very sort of 2D, washed over, flat. Now, again, some are better than others. It depends how you're setting the tone. That's something really important to note that... It really depends on the type of tone you're trying to get. Sometimes you can get a great tone out of them. I'm going to talk about that in a little while. But yeah, they they just don't seem to have the same sort of feel that an amp does. And I've A-B'd them. I really have. And, and, and I've had tons of clients that have them. And we've A-B'd them. And pretty much every single time we have picked a real amp. And like... The client's in the room with me. Like, they could say, oh, no, that amp sounds like crap. I want to use my modeler. And, and like, I've been recording bands for 15 years now, 
and it's still we still pick real amps. Now, there's a couple things we'll talk about with that on the next couple points, but yeah, I just feel like it's almost there, but there's like a I don't know if it's dynamic or tonal or a saturation thing or a combination of those. It just doesn't seem to jump out at from the speakers at me and feel loud and proud and it it seems like squished and kind of small and 2D. It they're they just also seem harder to get right in the mix. It seems like they're either too loud or too quiet. They have this sort of uh washy quality to them that almost makes the transients seem like they're buried under a layer of drive or distortion rather than it being a part of the sound if that makes any sense at all i do think for clean sounds amp modelers generally do fine it's really when you start getting into distortion that it becomes really really tricky and sometimes again for a given tone especially like certain metal tones or stuff that's supposed to sound super modern and tight and like compressed sometimes that's exactly what you need to do is use an amp modeler because it's like kind of part of the sound but even still you look at most guys who play metal or produce metal and most of them are still using real amps uh in the studio so the second thing is and this is a big one this is a really big one they're no fun to record i mean my job is to be a recording engineer and producer and mixer and it's a very time consuming job it's a lot of work but my gosh i if i resorted to just kempers or amp modelers it's just no fun i mean it's no fun to record those when a client uh, or or if i walk into a room and the i mean the last thing i want to do is like scroll through digital menus press buttons or like mouse into my amp rig. You know what I mean? That's just no fun. Like I want to plug into an amp and crank it up and let it rip. I can get drastic immediate changes from it by tweaking a knob, turning the gain up or down. I don't have to go into menus or sub menus or anything. I can change a cabinet in, you know, 5 seconds. It really doesn't take any time at all to get that stuff. I don't have to like now, sure, I, I don't have the luxury of presets, but, you know, I at the same time, I, I don't really use presets for anything, so <laughs> that doesn't bother me. It's just no fun to, to take a stereo output of a Line 6 modeler and plug it in and say, okay, there it is. And if I need to ask the client to change something, like, hey, can you change? I don't even know what to ask them. I'm like, can you change your cabinet? or your mic model, you know what I mean? It's just weird. It's not, it's not intuitive. It doesn't make for collaboration on tones, which I do all the time with guitarists. I, I'm, I'm helping them craft their tone. It's not quick. It's, it's a very annoying, time-consuming thing. And if I have to trust that whoever comes in using one knows how to use it, and if they don't really know how to use it, we're just going to be fumbling around. And it's just way more fun and more of a challenge to see what you can get out of a real amp and a cabinet. Different mic combinations, different amp settings, different, uh, you know, is the amp really loud or is it turned down a little bit? Are you using an attenuator? Uh, you just, it's, it's so much more of a challenge, but also more rewarding. 
And you don't really learn anything from plugging into a modeler. You know, you don't get better from plugging into an amp modeler. Uh, your engineering skills are not even really being used. You're just seeing, oh, yeah, this sounds good. You know what I mean? And you're, you're cre- kind of just taking this pre-processed tone. And, and also there's not, there's not an easy way uh, without really just making presets for every single thing to get subtle variations. For example, I could record three different microphones on a guitar cabinet for two guitars, and then in the mix... For one of those guitars, I could use one mic, and for another guitar, I could use a different mic. And most amp modelers don't really do that. They don't, like, export one mic to one side and one mic to the other, I guess, unless you pan them. But even then, it's asking a lot for some of them. Um, It just doesn't have quite the flexibility or the fun or the challenge that real amps have. Now, the third part about why I think modelers don't sound good is, is actually related to how they have changed the industry and how they have changed guitar players. So I think actually modelers aren't to blame solely for this, but I think people are forgetting what real amps sound like because of these things. And I'll tell you why. So it, it starts with venues don't want people to have loud amps. Okay. So clients of mine constantly are bringing in 112 and 212 combos. Most of them are newer. Most of them are more budget. Some of them are boutique, but most of them are sort of generic, you know, new production Fender or whoever. Every now and then I'll get a Dr. Z or a Matchless or something really cool. But for the most part, even then, there's still like 112 and 212 combos. And I think the reason why so many people are forgetting what real good amps sound like is because, you know, like I was working with a client the other day and they were using a modeler. They're like, oh man, I just love this thing. It sounds better than any amp I've ever owned, blah, blah, blah. And I was looking at it and he had some like Marshall emulation pulled up. And I thought it sounded okay, but not great. And I was like, have you ever used like a good Marshall into a 412? And he was like, well, I know I used to have like a little Marshall combo, like 112 combo. It was like, all right, that's not a real like plexi like we're talking about. That's like a new production Marshall that nobody really likes. <laughs> so we went out to the live room and I plugged him into my Marshall into a 412 cabinet, 100 watt loud. And I told him to play. And he was like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. And we ended up using that. And it really highlighted this fundamental problem, which is like most of our favorite records, even up until the early 2000s, mid 2000s, like even up until, you know, they stopped using guitar on records, they were made with loud amps cranked up in the studio and usually nice amps, really nice amps, like not, you know, unless they're going for like a particularly like small sounding amp effect, they were usually like boutique or vintage Marshalls, Voxes, Fenders, you know, the good stuff, right? And you crank them up loud because you're in an isolated studio. Why wouldn't you? The problem is that people can't use these things live anymore unless they're big artists. So why would they? You know, why would the average client of mine own a 100-watt Marshall and a 412? They won't, they will barely get it to the gig. And even if they do get it to the gig, the sound guy is going to have them turn it way down. And I understand, I understand that that's just how things have moved now. But like, come on, 
to me, the sound engineer's job at a venue or whatever is to make the best sound possible out of what they've got. And it, to me, it's crazy to tell certain players to turn things down, you know, just by default. Like, obviously, yes, a 100-watt Marshall is totally overkill. You really don't need that unless you're playing arenas, you know what I mean? But I'm just saying, like, clients of mine are, have, are they're using, you know, 15-watt amps live. And, or they're using 30-watt amps and turning them to two and then putting a bunch of pedals in them. And it's like, of course you think the modelers sound good and acceptable because you haven't, you either are not using a good amp or you're not turning them up loud enough to really get to the sweet spot or you just haven't really heard good examples of what good amps sound like in isolation. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that an, an amp modeler today, not 10 years ago, but today sounds better than running a reissue fender on two with a bunch of pedals. Like the modeler will definitely sound better because the modeler is actually getting closer to the sound of an amp cranked. Now, if you were really comparing apples to apples, a, the, an amp cranked, like a Marshall cranked versus the Kemper, then I think it's a little easier of a comparison to say, oh, well, I like this about this one. I like this about that one. They both have their strengths, you know, but I like this one a little more because X, Y, Z. But I have no doubt in my mind that that's one of the reasons why people have turned to modelers because, yeah, they probably do sound better than the wrong amp played the wrong way. These amps were not designed to be run on one and sound good. They just aren't <laughs> like a fender twin on one is like kind of lame it's pretty cool for pedals but that's about it you know a, a marshall on one is not e there's what's the point like it doesn't even sound like the amp they're meant to be played loud there's a sweet spot that happens when the amp is loud enough and the power tubes are saturating just enough. The preamp is saturating. The speakers are pushing air, uh, but not too much. Not where they're like, you know, folding under the pressure. There's a sweet spot in the middle there where you get this amazing like, wow, everything's working together and it's punchy and it's loud, but it's not too crunchy, but it's not too clean. If you, if you watch those rig rundowns, right, from anyone from John Mayer to Angus Young or Joe Bonamassa, any of those people, they don't have restrictions like we do if we're in apartments or in our home with, you know, babies and kids and wife and family in the other room. You know what I mean? Like, these guys will run five, ten guitar amps into ten cabinets. They're cranked up and isolated under the stage. They've got every pedal on a MIDI loop system. They've got... You know, and like John Mayer and Joe Bonamassa, those guys travel with vintage fenders and dumbbells and all kinds of stuff, right? Like there is no, <laughs> there's no restrictions here, right? But I mean, if you watch that Joe Bonamassa rig rundown, he's running those fenders like literally on 10, like dimed all the way up, which is crazy. Like that is so loud, but he gets a particular tone out of it and it sounds amazing. And that tone, that's kind of what you have to do to get that. So 
because of the current state of gigging and because also of modelers as like, you know, people run into the arms of modelers because of that and the convenience of them. I mean, I think people have just like forgotten or not even tried to hear like what is a really, really great amp sound like. And also, to be fair, in the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of the major companies, Fender and Marshall and, you know, Vox, they produced a bunch of bad amps, like a bunch of bad amps. And that did not help. You know, the stuff was getting more expensive. Tubes were getting more expensive. Uh, Electronics in general were like going through major, major changes in the 90s. And it was like well, we got to go digital. This is what the kids want. You know, they want reverb on their amp and all this. And it's like, maybe, maybe that's what we want. I mean, but we also all have pedals and stuff. And I don't know, there was just like a weird sort of wild west going on in, in the amp world where they had these like hybrid amps that were like tube preamp, but solid state with effects and I, I mean, so many of them were just absolute junk, really, really bad. And then you had the whole like early digital pedals, like from Digitech and Zoom and all these other companies that were just making these mediocre digital pedals. And digital got a bad name. And then we were going through the, the home recording boom in the late 90s when that stuff really started to kind of kick up in early 2000s uh, when it was like, oh, crap, now we have, you know, we can... Like, when did the inbox come out? You know what I mean? Like, early 2000s. And it was like, everything had changed, you know? We had gone through so many changes, and I think we've just come so far from really good hand-wired amps designed by great designers meant to be used a certain way. Like, we've come so far from that. And I don't mean to sound like the old guy, you know, shaking his shaking his cane at the kids on the porch, right? But but really, it's, it's so much simpler if you just try it. And it's more fun, and it sounds better. It's immediate. It's right under your fingers. You can feel the tone in your hands. Like, get a really good amp and turn it up relatively loud and plug it into a good cabinet. I mean, that's it. So I don't say any of this to dog on amp simulators and say that they're pointless and they shouldn't exist. Absolutely not saying that. There are definitely situations that I really enjoy modelers. For example, I think uh, for writing and demoing, they're an amazing tool because if I'm writing songs and whatever, and and I think to myself, all right, I kind of need like a martial tone for this song. I can just pull up an amp modeler with a martial sound, put some delay on it and get a decent representation of what I'm going for. I'm going to redo it anyway, because it's, it's just a demo or a songwriting, but I don't have to go set up an amp. I don't have to go do any of that. It's very quick for that sort of thing. I don't necessarily think it sounds just like a Marshall or does it sound quite as good as a real one? No, but it it's so convenient for accomplishing that. And within 10 seconds, I could say, all right, I need a really clean, you know, coursey tone. So like the presets are definitely like, you know, if you spend time and like make presets that sound good, that is a huge time saver. It really is. Uh, and for songwriting, it's it's great because, for example, the amp that I might use for a clean 80s Strat tone and a Marshall tone and a Dumble tone and then like a heavy metal tone, you know, that's like four different amps, four different cabinets, maybe two different mic setups. 
that takes time. So for songwriting and for demoing and for scratch tracks, I love amp modelers. They're really quick for doing that. But like if I'm already setting up to get a tone in the studio and I want to be able to get the best possible sound quality, then I'm just going to use a real amp. At the same time, I will admit there are some tones, specifically, you know, uh, like 80s rolling jazz chorus, like classic solid state amp tones that I think sound amazing on modelers and better than recording a rolling jazz chorus. <laughs> so there's that, you know what I mean? Like if you're really trying to get some cool like Prince tones or like Tears for Fears kind of 80s guitar tones, anything like that, like sometimes the amp modelers can be really, really good for that, better than actually recording, you know, and who can even find a really good Roland jazz chorus these days anymore? It's, they're hard to find in good condition that aren't, you know, noisy or, or totally beat up or crazy expensive or, or whatever. And I mean the real ones, like the ones from back then. And like I said, sometimes for super high gain tones, like for metal stuff where it needs to sound like uber modern and tight and kind of 2D on purpose, uh, like very like perfect and and uh, like robotic. Sometimes the amp modelers can actually sound right in that situation. And a real amp is like too imperfect, if that makes any sense. And the flexibility of, of, of having that for like editing and stuff like that, where you can edit the DI and get immediate responses uh, from an amp modeler versus having to reamp over and over again. That's really powerful, too. So, yes, for five, five percent of the time, I actually prefer amp modelers. But 95% of the time, I still prefer my real amps for, for so many so many reasons. Now, part of this guy's email was like, uh, you know, it, what can I do? Like, I bought this Line 6 thing, and despite my initial excitement, I'm dissatisfied with it. Just doesn't really get tones that excite me. And he said, I've tried running it through a regular cheap Fender combo amp. Okay, Right there, to me, is a primary example of what I'm talking about, where people are forgetting how loud it really takes to get an amp to sound good most of the time, not every time. And he says, uh, none of the above really gave me that visceral feeling, and despite my many cool effects, the tone was seriously lacking. So my advice to him and my advice to many of you out there is to use the modelers for what they're really good at, which to me is the convenience of presets and having basically a, an infinite number of pedal boards at your feet. Specifically, I'm talking like the Line 6 ones. I mean, for guys that play cover gigs or wedding gigs or, uh, you know, any musician that needs to have a bunch of tones readily available, a lot of church musicians, you know, that, that play a lot of different songs and need a bunch of different effects. I mean, there's really no logical argument for saying, you know, hey, I need to have a pedal board with 80 pedals on it. You know what I mean? That's just silly. You know what I mean? Just use a modeler. You're, you essentially have infinite pedal boards at your feet to accomplish all those sorts of things. However, yeah, if you run that direct with the amp simulation, like the amp simulation is really the thing that they haven't quite nailed yet. It's not that hard to get great digital delays and great digital reverbs and great digital chorus. And I mean, we've been doing that for over 30 years. Like we've had cool digital effects since the 80s. I mean, some of the greatest, right? Like, <laughs> um, it's not hard to get digital effects. What is hard is, and it's always been hard, is amp simulation, right? So my advice to him was to turn off the amp simulation, 
turn off the cabinet simulation, use the Line 6 as a, you know, super versatile pedal board, go borrow or rent or buy an 80-watt twin, turn off the bright switch, run it at a medium-low volume, and crank that Line 6 into it. I know it's loud. I know it's probably not going to work in most situations, but you got to hear what that can sound like. I can tell you, it can sound amazing. It can sound really impressively good. And you'll be like, wow, this line six sounds great. And it's like, what, what it, I mean, all those effects and everything, they do sound great. They, they do. It's the amp modeling that is still not quite there. Now, I realize that an 80-watt twin is too loud for most people, so I would say the next step below that would maybe to try to find a low-powered twin or uh, a baseman, which is more like 50 watts rather than 80. Uh, I, generally, if I'm running a pedal board into an amp, I like to keep the bright switch off, but it does depend on the amp greatly. Uh, on the amp that I use, which is a modified twin circuit with a little bit less gain, uh, I actually leave the bright switch on, but it it's not the same as what's in an actual twin. So, you know, just be aware that you might have to leave the bright switch off. You generally need an amp. Pedals tend to cut low end, okay? So you generally need an amp that has a big low end, which to me equates to a Fender, and I use a closed back 212 cabinet. That's the other thing is that because so many people have switched to combo amps, People have lost the appreciation for the closed back cabinet because they don't want to carry a head and a, ca and a cabinet. But in reality, like in my world, I almost always prefer a closed back cabinet in the studio. Um, it just presents more information. The bass extends lower. Uh, it sounds more direct and focused. It's not mushy. Uh, an open back cabinet can be great in circum certain circumstances, but in general, when in doubt, I'm going to pick a closed back, and especially if I'm using pedals. So if you can find a, like a basement head, like a 50-watt basement head into a closed back 212 cabinet, run that line six into it, and you'll be amazed at how much better it sounds than, you know, the models in there. Uh, and then again, if you actually compare like the Marshall model versus a real Marshall, a hundred watt Marshall, uh, it's, it's something else, you know, and don't get me wrong. It's way easier to use modelers. It is way easier to just plug in a stereo output and call it a day, but it just doesn't quite get there for me. To me, I kind of look at it like I look at electronic drums or samples or any of that. It's like, yeah, they've gotten so much better in the last 10 years, like night and day better, right? But if you can nail live drums, it always sounds better. Uh, if you can have a great room and a great drummer and a ton of gear and a ton of space and a lot of experience and you can really nail live drums correctly, then it will always beat out fake drums. But if we're talking about... How come my drums recorded in my tiny bedroom with three microphones and a cheap interface don't sound as good as all these drum samples? You know what I mean? It's like we're not really comparing apples to apples there. It's not fair. And of course you think the samples sound better because they do. You know, you know, like if you're if you're comparing it that way, like we never used to have this issue because 
because back in the 70s and 80s and stuff, like people didn't record at home. You know, we they recorded in big studios and, and the money was there to rent amp after amp after amp after amp and have cartridge companies and have racks and racks full of preamps and effects and all this stuff. I mean, it was it was crazy. Like, it's just different now, you know, like the golden eras of guitar to like 70s, 80s, 90s to me. I mean, that's like 100-watt Marshalls, Mesas, Soldanos, PVs, Fender Deluxe Reverbs and Twins, Princeton sometimes, AC30s. I mean, those are all so common. And and those are like all nice amps that are classics. Like the AC30, it's only 30 watts, but that's a loud 30 watts. That is a loud amp. And it sounds amazing. When you get a good one, it sounds amazing. And so people will go to Guitar Center and they'll buy this AC-15, which to me is a garbage amp. It sounds bad. Like, I have tried to record them in the studio. They sound bad to me. They don't sound anything like an AC-30. And I don't know why. They just don't. And people will think, oh, it's like a quieter AC-30. And it's just not. Like, if you've heard a real AC-30 cranked up on the on the brilliant, I mean, oh my gosh, it's an amazing sound. Compared to the AC-15, which to me is farty and fizzy and just does not do the job at all. I just, like I said, I, I think we just need to kind of like recognize and admit how far we have come from how it used to be. The entire scene is different now. The market is different. Music is different. People are making music differently. And we're not making music with these amps how they used to be able to do it. We can't turn up a 100-watt Marshall at a gig. We just have to recognize this. And so we, I think, if we really want to get great guitar tones, we have to adapt to those changes. For me, for example, like... I am in love with my Fryette power station. I would recommend it to anybody out there. That will allow you to turn a loud amp down. Get basically the same tone. You don't really get the benefit of uh, the speaker interaction as much, but you could use any amp with that thing and turn it up as loud or as quiet as you want, and you can get a killer, killer tone out of it. Uh, I, I love that thing, and I think it's an absolute essential tool for a modern guitar player with multiple amps. Anyway, so I, I hope this is helpful. I know it may not be the answer you guys want to hear. I hate to just tell you, sorry, you need to buy a nice expensive amp and turn it up loud, or you're not going to be able to do it. But, like, I, I just don't want to lie to you. Like I said, like, I, that's my honest opinion. I record music for a living, I've worked with, I don't even know how many guitar players. I'm a guitar player. I've had, I can't even tell you how many guitar amps and modelers and different pedal boards and all kinds of stuff in here. And literally 90% of the time, we go into a pedal or two, if any, straight into an amp that is loud. Okay? Like, it, it really is that simple. Like, people don't, they, they seem to think there's a bunch of voodoo going on, like, to get a great guitar tone. And there's just not like so many times the only pedal I will use will be like a boost or maybe a compressor. I, I don't use a bunch of drive pedals. I don't use, you know, a bunch of crazy boutique drive pedals or anything. And, and people have gotten pedal crazy. That's the thing, too, is people have gotten like dependent on their pedal boards. And, you know, sometimes they'll come into the studio and I say, like, oh, let's do let's do all the effects later, like reverb and delay. And they're like, 
can't play. They like can't play their parts without their, you know, the security blanket of their tone. So, you know, we'll have to set up a dual rig basically where one is clean and one has all the effects um, so that I can get what I need and they can get what they need. And I don't mind doing that if that's what's required. It's just like, it's wild to me. Like players, uh, so many players have learned to play with more pedals than like I ever had growing up. You know, I, I, the only pedals that were really super popular back then were like boss pedals, you know, it, that was really all you could do. Like a tube screamer, boss pedals, DOD, you know what I mean? Like there, there weren't tons of pedals back then when I started. And now it's just an infinite sea, you know, <laughs> like, and don't get me wrong. I think they're a ton of fun. I love pedals, but like to rely on them, you know, and, and to base your entire tone around them to me, is just like, it, it's you're doing yourself a disservice like that is not how your favorite tones were achieved most of the time you know what i mean like regardless of what the magazines say and you know if you if you look back at those sessions you ask the engineers who recorded them you ask the amp techs who worked on those sessions like those guys generally go straight into the amp or use a boost pedal or use like as basically as as few things in the chain as possible like that's very very common in the studio and yeah like live it's different but in the studio it's very common to do that now one sort of good uh i would say compromise is i'm actually pretty impressed with the the whole movement of like cabinet simulation like ir loaders and things like that that allows you to get you know your amps real amps played into a reactive load of some kind recorded in and then you're just simulating the cabinet and in my mind it's a lot easier to simulate uh you know a cabinet with a speaker than it is to simulate tubes and a really complex circuit a, a speaker's a relatively simple device and you know you can take irs and you can actually record them from your own cabinets and your own speakers and you can buy irs and you can I mean, it's it's really really remarkable. And to me, that is a that's a happy compromise. That you know, if I was told uh, you've got to run your rig silent, I would do that. Where I could still use a real amp, I could still use pedals or whatever I wanted for that. But if I had to run my amp silent, I would use an IR loader of some kind. And people might say, "Oh, there's latency." It's like, well, technically, yes, but less latency than if you're standing in front of your amp. That's what's funny is like speed of sound because of the speed of sound. I mean, if you're standing six feet in front of your guitar amp, that's like five milliseconds. And the, a lot of these IR loaders are down to like one millisecond. So it's like, okay, <laughs> it's the equivalent of playing your amp with your face a foot away from the amp. You know what I mean? It's like, all right. <laughs> uh, you know, that latency is just not a problem. And so it, it's really impressive what how far we've come on that front as well. So, yeah, I, I think I would enjoy using that if that was if that was the compromise I had to make. But uh, at least at the time of making this episode, I don't feel like amp modelers have quite gotten there. I think they're close. I really do. I, I think they are close. And every year that goes by, they get a little bit closer. Every new innovation that they have, every new advancement in processing technology every new advancement in capturing these sort of models and sampling them and creating IRs, it gets closer and closer. And I'm excited to see what the future holds. 
So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. I, I, I know, it, like I said, kind of seems like I'm ranting like an old man on his porch, but <laughs> uh, I, I do really think that that we'll get there someday. I don't know when, but you know, maybe five years, maybe ten, maybe fifty. I, I don't know, but I do think the technology is getting better. I'm really excited every day to see new stuff come out, and you know, every year at Nam. It's always amazing, the innovation and the creativity out there and these people that make this stuff. I don't mean any any disrespect to people who work for Line 6 or, you know, the Kemper people or any of these. I think all of you are doing amazing work. Me personally, I don't quite think it's there yet on the amp simulation front. But, I mean, think of how far you've come in 10 years. Night and day. Absolute night and day. So I'm excited for what the future holds, you know. Um, I really, really am. Uh, so thanks for listening to this episode. We'll talk again soon. If you have any questions, comments, you have any ideas for episodes, send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks. <laughs>